Hello and welcome to Fly With Your Shadow, the podcast all about music, mental health and illness, and the mess that the COVID pandemic has made of all of it. I'm Jeff Robson and this show comes to you from my home in Winnipeg, Manitoba. This show offers me the opportunity to have in-depth conversations with some of my favorite musicians and some really interesting people. It's also giving me the opportunity to share with you just how common mental illnesses are. The thing about a mental illness is that they're so often well hidden behind the face of someone who on the surface appears to be full of life and energy, but behind the scenes might be suffering in silence. Today's guest is just one of those people. He's someone who seems to be always on the go and always busy, and if you ever have the pleasure of seeing him on stage, he's the life of the party and an electrifying performer. It turns out, though, that he's also been through his share of tragedy and loss and difficulties and is dealing with it all with a bipolar disorder. I'm Matt Masters, a Calgary country singer and the co-founder of Curbside Concerts. I think most people outside of Calgary probably know Matt Masters best for his role in Barney Bentall's Caribou Express. Barney Bentall, of course, is a longtime songwriter and singer and performer here in Canada with a number of big hits to his credit. Anyone who's seen that show knows that it's one of the most entertaining nights of music out there. Basically, it's an all-star lineup of great performers stepping in front of a red-hot band for an old-time-style review. Performers cycle on and off stage, and it always ends up in a big group finale. Throughout the show, Matt Masters is not only one of those songwriters, but he plays the role of a host and MC, telling jokes, introducing songs and performers, and dropping the names of local sponsors into some really amusing advertisements. On that busy stage, he more than capably holds his own alongside can rock legend Barney Bentall, his son Dustin Bentall, Ridley Bent, Leroy Stagger, who was our guest on episode number one, and a whole host of other great special guests. But that's just an occasional sideline kind of job. Whether on his own or with his band, the ladies and gentlemen of the rodeo, he's busy year-round, even though it's been a decade since his last album, All Western Winners. He's honed a really fun show built around a classic country honky-tonk sound. Offstage and behind the scenes, though, he's had a heck of a difficult time over the years, dealing with loss, dramatic health scares, and difficulties that would cause even the strongest among us to feel some anxiety and depression. It all culminated with him being diagnosed with a bipolar disorder and learning to deal with that. In spite of all the hard times and, oh yeah, the subsequent devastating blow of the COVID pandemic, Matt Masters was able to reinvent himself in an admirable fashion, founding curbside concerts and building a brand new model of bringing live music right to people's homes and neighborhoods. That business started in his home of Calgary where he lives, but he quickly expanded all the way between Ontario and BC in Canada, and they have sites on further national expansion. That business started in Calgary where he lives, but has quickly expanded all the way between Ontario and BC here in Canada. They've set their sights on further national expansion and are even looking to move into Australia and other parts of the world. As busy as all that's kept him, Matt Masters finally found time to put out a new album. It's a collection of some of his favorite songs by other writers called Everybody Loves a Winner. It was produced by Leroy Stagger. 
It was recently released on his 45th birthday on March 23rd. This album sees him embrace a new soulful sound where he's singing a lot better than ever before, and he's backed up by a Memphis-style horn section. The album also features guest duets with Jill Barber and Barney Bentall and features songs by Ian Tyson, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, and many others. I managed to find time to catch up with Matt over Zoom from his home in Calgary. Once again, the sound isn't perfect in spots, unfortunately, but I think you'll be able to understand and enjoy this conversation. And he loves that damned old rodeo More than he loves me Some may soon Going with him someday soon we haven't seen you here in Winnipeg for quite a while and you haven't released a record in quite a while. So before the pandemic and forgive me for being ignorant on this point, but how much of a, how much was music even your livelihood at that point before things shut down? It's been my livelihood steady for 20 years. You know, I've, I've made my income fully from music. Yeah. Well, I mean, 2004 was when I, uh, I know 2000, uh, I guess one was the last time I had a non-music job. So, um, yeah, so for 20 years, my incomes primarily come from performance and even, um, even up to and in, into the pandemic, we, you know, I did 170 gigs last year or something like that. I've, I'm the one guy who's not stopped gigging, you know, so, um, but, you know, before the pandemic, um, I was gigging weekly with my band at the King Eddie, a, like a historic music venue in Calgary where the house band there for, on Friday afternoons. So we do a two hour show there each week since, uh, 2018, I guess. And um, that would be a four piece or sometimes six piece country band doing my songs and some country classics and, uh, you know, fiddle and pedal steel and all that good stuff. And, um, and then other than that, you know, I was also working as a DJ. So for the last two years, I was working uh, daily at CKUA in uh, out of Calgary, hosting the, the new or the afternoon show. And then um, I was also doing a little bit of club DJing, um, doing like some uh, like pub kind of not, not real like dance venues, more like a pub DJ. And uh, I would do some Sunday morning DJing at a brewery during their brunch. So I was, you know, I was spending a lot of time as a DJ, to be honest. And then, uh, but, you know, one gig every Friday afternoon. And then I would have on average one or two other gigs each week, um, you know, as either Matt Masters solo or Matt Masters and the ladies and gentlemen of the rodeo, as we were widely known. And somehow you still found time to run for politics and, and all kind, you, you've done all kinds of interesting things over the past few years. So you've been a busy guy. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, um, you know, I, I have, as you mentioned, I did run, I ran in the 2015 federal election here in Calgary. I was the NDP candidate who ran head to head against Stephen Harper. So that was an interesting experience. Um, but I've also worked in a few other capacities. You know, I, um, I spent uh, a year and a half working with the National Music Center in Calgary as their uh, the program leader of the Alberta Music Cities Initiative. I, uh, I spent uh, some time running a festival in Calgary called the Spaghetti Western Festival, and I did some bookings for venues like Winos and a historic house called the Lougheed House. Um, I also spent some time working inside the City of Calgary Arts and Culture Division, um, helping to rewrite the uh, busking bylaw back in 2015. And, um, you know, and like I say, getting into radio after that. So like, I've, I've always been one to work in music. I mean, I, I, I um, operate a jam space, you know, so I, I run a three room rehearsal space where uh, most of Calgary's heavy metal bands practice. Done that for almost a decade too. 
And, um, you know, you just, that's, that's working in music, you know, you gotta, you got a gig and then you got to do the other stuff that kind of supports the gig. And that's, uh, that's been my thing. And somehow you've managed to have what, three kids and a, and a beautiful wife and, and sleep once in a while, hopefully as well. <laughs> well, <laughs> it is a busy place that there's no doubt about that. And, and the last years as a dad have transitioned me from being a nighttime person to being a, a morning person, you know, and that, that transition is real, you know, cause like I spent a solid 10, 12 years in, in the clubs and on the scene, on the road even. And, um, so the transition to being like a full-time dad is, you know, a serious one. Um, but luckily for me, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been able to, yeah, make it work. So obviously you were a busy guy. So, so what happened when, when everything shut down, like you had all these different things on the go, what kind of a, what, what kind of an effect did that have on you? Um, well, yeah, I mean, like, so with three little kids, my wife and I, our income comes from live music performance, like almost, almost exclusively. My wife is also a musician and, um, was doing some work as a teacher, a music teacher. Um, so our, our income was pretty much gone, uh, on the St. Patrick's day weekend last year. And, um, I still had my radio job, you know, so I was still, um, doing that, but that was only a part-time job. And so it wasn't going to be enough to pay our mortgage or anything like that. And so we had, you know, our savings weren't exactly hefty. So we had about a month to kind of make it happen, you know. Um, and so Amanda, my wife and I came up with this idea for what we called curbside concerts. And um, we registered the company name under our existing business and then um, set about to kind of make a wing and a prayer effort to, you know, save our, our performing lives and our income. And so the idea behind the curbside concert, well, essentially it's like someone pulls up to your front door with a portable battery powered speaker and does a gig for you from the side of the road. And you sit on your front step at a safe distance and you enjoy music because sound travels. You don't have to get close. You know, you can, you can sit in the back row of the concert and still hear it, you know? So just imagine there's a venue between you and the performer and, you know, and that's kind of how it works. So like, cause the thing about the thing about the industry shutting down is it's it hasn't changed how many songs I know you know it hasn't changed my ability to play music that has not changed and I like my job is playing music so my job hasn't actually changed it's just the place where that I traditionally sell my wares is gone right the theaters and the venues where I've worked for 20 years are not open and so I'm like in all I'm in need of is a new place to sell my wares I'm confident in my show people hear me sing and they're like I want to hear some more but where am I going to get the people? And so what I realized was um, we could do these curbside concerts and we could work safely because we're at a distance. We could work locally because people should stay home. Um, and, and then we could make enough money to stay alive. You know, that was the goal. And, um, and it's totally worked, you know. So did this idea really just come that it's, this sounds like a business that would have been like planned for a year before it was launched. Like it really just came that quickly. And where did it come from? Like, is this coming from doing house concerts or? or? Well, I mean, the real, the real motivation came from two places. I would, uh, I was reading a book about the Yukon gold rush and uh, it occurred to me how uh, the people who made money in the gold rush were not the, the, the miners, but they were the suppliers. Right. Um, so, you, you know, sell a shovel and you'll sell a thousand of them, try to dig for gold with the shovel you bought. Well, maybe you'll get some, maybe you won't. You know? and, and so like, 
if you want to make money in music, and that was my ambition. I've worked in music 20 years. I'm not looking to change my industries and get into like, you know, groceries or something. So I had to figure out how do I provide my, my, my thing? And then, and then the other thing was there was a photographer here in Calgary, uh, a guy named Neil Zeller, who was doing some really cool stuff just around the time he started doing these um, distanced portraits. He called them portraits, and he'd take a telephoto lens, drive around the city, take pictures of people, and then email to them. And he'd accept a donation, you know. And um, Neil got, we got connected. We knew each other on social media. We both know, he's a friend of my sister's, you know, so we got connected. And, and when I saw him doing that, I was like, well, sound travels just like telephoto lens travels, you know. And then I looked in my garage and I was like, well, I got this speaker and I got, if I rent this unit and if I, if I plug that in over here, I can just be on it. And then, and then I discovered there's some really good um, rentable mobile technology, you know, at Long McQuaid and stuff. And so, um, yeah, so I just kind of, yeah, I just literally I came downstairs to this very desk where I'm sitting right here with my head in my hands, like, what the heck am I going to do? And uh, I was thinking about his Neil's portraits. And then I was just like, I acknowledged that the word curbside is a, it's part of the lexicon in a post COVID environment in a way that it wasn't before. Um, and so I just plugged in and, and I bought a bunch of websites, you know, um, curbsideconcerts.ca being the first one. And then um, after that, I mean, I own a bunch of websites, curbsideyoga.com, curbsidepilates.com, author, curbside movies, you know, because truly what we've, what we've discovered here, the shift in the music industry, usually when we have major shifts in the music industry, they're technological, right? The invention of a new CD or uh, MP3 or whatever. But in this situation, we're having a shift in the music industry, which is environmental, right? It's different. It's, it's, not, it's not the same thing. And it's not, what it's done is it, it's revealed new opportunities because people are more inclined to listen because they're, they're tapped out of being online they have nowhere else to go. Um, and, and so the idea of maybe sitting quietly in your yard and listening to music that your neighbors booked and you're like, well, I don't usually listen to this type of music, but I'm going to got nothing else to do. And then lo and behold, you discover it's music you love, you know, that's what, that's what we tapped into. And, and so just to give a frame of reference, um, at 11 months old, curbside concerts has uh, performed closing in on 600 gigs nationally. We got close to uh hundred booked for the 2021 season already. Uh, our ambitions, nothing less than 5,000 gigs nationally. Um, and we have producers working in Toronto, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. So we've got a, like a, a real company with a real payroll, you know, and, uh, and, and we have over 70 artists on our roster and we're just about to launch a new Vancouver roster and a revamped Toronto roster. So I'm confident we'll be over hundred artists working through curbside concerts before we hit one year old. That's amazing. Yeah, it's been an incredible ride. And um, like, did you did it come together fairly easily, or did you have to do some tweaking of the systems? Like, did you test all this stuff out yourself by doing the first shows, and then and yeah. then go from yeah, there? Yeah, I, I mean, the vision at first was just get me to work. It wasn't like it wasn't get anyone else to work. It was just like get get to work, Matt. And um and so what happened for the very first booking actually. I told my brother about this. I was like, hey, I, I got this new website called curbsideconcert.ca. I'd never built a website before either, you know. So I built a website and it was just a picture of me and my guitar um, standing in front of my house with my kids and my wife at a distance sitting on the front step, you know. And um, our, our eight-year-old took the picture, you know. My wife was on the step with the little boys and my girl, she, she stood on my, you know, I was kneeling. To, anyways, uh, we had a photograph to kind of explain what, what you were going to get, you know. We opened up the basic social media accounts, 
Um, and then I told my brother and then he told a friend of his that night. Uh, and then that friend of his happens to live in my neighborhood. We both live in Glendale. Uh, his name's Tom and Tom just sent me a note. He's like, Hey, I'll book one of these. Let's, let's do one. Like, let's do one tomorrow. He's like, I've got, I've got a handful of good friends in my neighborhood. There's a park across the street. We're all the kind of people who will distance naturally because they are all proactively healthy and safe. And so like that, the first one was booked. And so I just got on the horn with some friends in the Calgary media and, um, and the at global TV, I think it was maybe a CTV showed up to that first gig. And then, um, we were able to get TV coverage on my first four gigs. So I had four gigs in the next four days and I had TV at each of them. And then, um, and then we had a CBC interview uh, or we, I had a CBC interview and then I booked a hundred gigs in the next four days. Like the phone rang off the hook. Like I've never seen that in 20 years of booking, you know, like I booked a hundred gigs for myself in four days, you know, it was just like, poof. And, and then right away I realized though that like, I was going to miss gigs. No way I could play this many gigs. So I turned to my bandmates who were currently, we were suddenly, we'd all been kind of canceled, you know? So, uh, and like, you know, our fiddler, Jeremy Genu, he's got kids. He's a working musician who had suddenly had no income either. So I was like, Jeremy, curbside concerts, you know? And so he started doing his and his show was like instrumental. It's all fiddle, you know? Um, and then uh, another fellow in our band named Pete, uh, uh, Howlin' Pete Cormier is the name of his, uh, his band. And uh, he's a he's a rockabilly singer who played piano in my band, but could tell, you know, his own his own show. So he jumped up with his partner, Sydney, and they, uh, you know, they started doing shows. So suddenly we had a roster of artists like before we even started. And then, um, you know, instantly we started to, to realize that there was opportunities outside of Calgary. You know, so we, we started trying to figure out who we could work with in Toronto, who we could work with in Winnipeg. And every musician in the country is out of work, you know, so let's find a way to put people back to work. And then. Yeah, then the course of the year has been a process of learning about um, safety, you know, because everything starts and ends with safety. And, um, and, and the whole thing is there's a bunch of myths that we're going to destroy. So the myths say, these are old standing music industry myths, that, that an artist can't work locally, right? You're going to crush your career if you work too many gigs locally. Um, artists can't earn a living wage. You're going to go on tour and come back broke. Artists can't have healthcare benefits. You just don't get them. And frankly, I don't accept any of that. And so uh, what we've done is we've recognized that with the new environment that's brought in by COVID, with people's new willingness to participate and forced participation being at home, like you know, um, the opportunity to turn a street into a concert hall, you know, like a cul-de-sac is the new concert hall. You know, you put every family in the cul-de-sac on their front step, a full yard away from each other. And you put an artist 50 feet away in the middle of that cul-de-sac, you got 50 people sitting at a gig, you know, and it's a different gig than before because it's not just the music lovers who buy tickets because we're not selling tickets. It's everyone in the family. You know, it's, it's the, it's not just the music lover in the family. You know, when I do my, my typical gigs at, at the King Eddie, my audience is exclusively made up of people who will come to a venue in the middle of the day. That's eh, a free show, but like, you know, you get what I mean. Music venue attendees are a select group of the general populace. Same with festival attendees. And as musicians, we've been trained to focus our marketing efforts on that group exclusively because they buy records and go to shows and that's our market. And if you don't do those things, well, you're not our market. But with a curbside concert, it's super different because you're having this thing where someone who's not a traditional music fan is having this real emotional connection with this community experience. And they, they come to the artist or their feedback to us says, 
I haven't seen my neighbors in six months. You know, there I was sitting across the street. I got to say hi to my old golfing buddy or whatever. Or I saw a neighbor I've never met before. You know, I heard a sound I didn't know existed in my community. And these like these stories are awesome. And they're really empowering as the, for the artists and for us as a team too. So like we're really motivated to just get work for musicians and keep neighborhoods like feeling good with the power of live music. And so is it not even necessarily music fans booking these then? It's just like people looking to hang out with their neighbors? Jeff's birthday. Let's have a band. What can we do? We can't do anything. Let's have some music. You know, it's like it, I, I played a graduation last year. I talk about this one because like I, I just turned 45. I don't play a lot of graduations from high school. You know, even when I was 18 and playing music, I wasn't playing a lot of graduate. I was playing for my parents age people. You know, like so last year in, in the springtime, I got a booking uh, from it was from a dad you know, and his daughter was finishing high school, class of 2000. She and her girlfriends were going to party in the garage, you know, these 10 girls who had nothing to do. And so he hired me. And so let's just be clear. I'm like nothing newer than Willie Nelson in my playlist, you know, (laughs) and here I am with a dozen uh, 17 and 18 year olds. So I did my best to learn a Lizzo song and some Katy Perry. And these girls did their best to enjoy a 45 year old bald dad singing to them and we had a blast you know because like they just wanted to do something and they didn't care if it was you know me as opposed to like the kind of music they would normally listen to you know we played weddings uh we've played so many like anniversaries or retirement parties birthday parties you know all that stuff because uh, music is the is the thing we played obviously christmas parties new year's eve we did halloween events you know thanksgiving gatherings around fires and stuff like that like the thing is, culture isn't accessible in the venues it was formerly accessible in. So if you, want it, if you want to access culture, you have to have it delivered to you a la carte. And that's what Curbs and Concerts is. It's the artist you want at the time you want. And it actually, it's awesome, it turns out. So it's, it's going really well. And does this have a life post-pandemic? Is this something you can see doing for the rest of your life now? Totally. Because, I mean, it turns out having your favorite artist at your house with your friends over is, like, really awesome. You know, it used to be 60 years ago, if you wanted a pizza, you had to go to an Italian restaurant in the evening. And then someone realized after World War II that like you could actually make one in the afternoon and drive it to someone's house. And pizza delivery is just not that old. But we think it's so ingrained, you know, and similarly package delivery. And now through the pandemic, alcohol uh, delivery has become stuff that's just normal, you know. And, um, and so culture is the same way. Can't go to a museum, but you can hire a curator to come to your house because they're sitting at home doing nothing. And they'll give a speech to you for a certain fee about the, the topic of interest, you know, DJs, it, it, dancers. You know, we actually just booked our first um, indigenous fancy dancer, fellow on our roster here in Calgary. His name is Craig Firstrider, world champion fancy dancer. And he just got his first gig. He's going to be dancing at a home uh, in central Calgary. And the, um, the host is someone who booked a curbside concert last summer, had a great time with her neighbors. And so this year she was looking at our updated roster, saw Craig on there and reached out and she was like, what's the scoop? You know, it's way different because, because as a dancer, he only does a, a, a shorter set. He's like 10, 15 minutes, you know, cause it's so exhausting. But, um, she's very excited and um, and I'm very excited too, just because like, yeah, like let's get the dancers to work too. You know, we're starting with the music, but, but, but all, all in good time, you know? 
Um, is there any concern about that music industry thing where you're, you're like, are people still going to want to come to see you at the King Eddie or the, are the people at the King Eddie going to be mad at you because you're, you're making people get live music where they are. They don't have to come to them anymore. Does that, does that kind of thing concern you? No, not at all. The opposite in fact is because, um, I'm out there telling everyone about the King Eddie. Like I literally tell way more people than I would be talking about otherwise. And they have a good time with my solo show. Wait till you see how a guitar solo sounds when I have my actual guitar player with me. You know, the singer's taking the guitar solo, you know that it's a little bit So, you know, I actually feel like the, um, the, the work that the artists are doing is introducing music to a wider audience. And that wider audience will in turn realize they love live music and will in turn become activated as fans, as, as, as buyers of stuff. So I really think we'll be supporting venues in, in that long run. And, and, and the other thing is like a curbside concert is 45 minutes at the longest because the truth is you are on the street. It's not mass small. You know, like there is magic about being in the times change that's different than being at the end of my driveway. You know, there's an intimacy and honesty and a purity to a curbside concert because it's an artist and an audience both sharing so closely. But you put your favorite act inside your favorite venue and that's, you know, that with a crowd of people, that's a magical thing too, you know. So I think what we've done is identified a new marketplace for enjoying culture, but I think it's only going to support, um, you know, the, the other pieces of the, of the industry as it grows, you know. And, and to that end, we're helping some musicians through a time when they might otherwise be abandoning their craft, you know. If you can make a couple thousand bucks doing curbside concerts, which is totally achievable, um, you know, then maybe you can make it through the pandemic and get back to the time when you're That's it. Well, on the other side of it is because um, a curbside concert is in its nature a private gig, you know, we don't advertise the locations because it's, it's your home, you know, or maybe your place of business. But it means that the artist doesn't have to invest their social media capital in it. You know, the artist doesn't have to sound check. The artist doesn't have to tweet about it. The artist doesn't have to do like, you know, a rider. They, they just know that they're going to get in their car or, or the, you know, they can travel on their bicycle if they got the mode, um, get to the gig, which is going to be in their area. You know, we're not driving a, a Calgary artist to Winnipeg. That's just too far. And we're not, you know, like we have distance policies. We want people close to home. So you, you, the artist essentially sets out in the afternoon Sets up, does a gig, done in 40 minutes, has a great time, gets some gratuities, meets some new friends, sells some merchandise in their home before dinner. You know, and it's like, that's the thing. It just, it's just going to work, you know. It isn't going on tour, and tour is separate, you know. Uh, and, and tour will come back. And, and then, and this will be the thing you do when you're off season, you know. Tour all summer, then do a couple curbsides in the fall, maybe do a winter one if you're the outdoorsy type, you know, or like, you know, record doesn't come out till March or maybe your record comes out, say, in June and you want to do some gigging in the in the advanced time that doesn't, you know, it's not your band. Maybe it's not your, you know, it, it gives a musician, a working musician opportunities to work in different locations. You know? So it's it's going pretty well. It's it's exciting. I mean, and we actually we even have like we're talking about Curbside Australia, too, already, because just the connections are there and um, the difference in Australia, of course, is since they have uh, a better handle on COVID is there's not the natural demand for this. Like COVID created the situation where this works and now it makes sense here. We aren't quite there in Australia yet because they're just going to festivals and having a great time. So if people are interested in this, how, how do they book it and how does it work? How do, how do, how much does this cost me to put on? How does that kind of stuff work? 
for sure. So it's all getting pretty streamlined. It's all through curbsideconcerts.ca. That's the web portal we use. And uh, through there, you just go and choose your location, choose your time, choose your artist. It's getting so automated. You just click your credit card and pay it and you're done. Uh, all curbside concerts are $300, including taxes, or sorry, plus taxes, pardon me. And, um, and two thirds of that goes to the artist. That's, that's our business model is, is every uh, gig starts with two thirds and all gratuities and merchandise sales to the artist. Um, and then everything else that the company does runs on that one third uh, that remains. So that's the, the set price across the board. All the artists are the same price. And yeah, I mean, you just go on, click where you want to do it. And like, you know, we can usually turn around for the very next day. Like I got an inquiry last Friday, did the gig on Saturday. Yeah, sure. I mean, I had my schedule open. It was just, it wasn't far, you know, and uh, we had a great time. Yeah. And through all this, you still have time to, to do your own shows and, and while you're running all this and stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, like I say, I did probably about a hundred, maybe 150 gigs last year. Um, I was very top end heavy, you know, at the spring of last year when I was doing, you know, I did, I think I did 40 in a week or something like that, you know? Um, well, it just was like, I was doing three a day every day, you know? So I probably wasn't at 40. I was probably closer to 20, but I, my math got to get my math straight there. But, um, but yeah, I, I gigged really heavy last, last spring. And then, um, in the summer I, I started taking a bit more of a break, you know, um, I, uh, I was starting to experience just like the, the, the weight of the, of running a business as opposed to just running a band, which is my previous work experience. So, um, yeah, you know, and, and then just, we had some transitions in personnel and just some big learnings of what it means, you know, um, then I got, I got, uh, shingles in the fall. So I got sick and it sucked. And um, it was actually the same night I was doing the uh, Barney Bantel and the Caribou Express uh, band I've been with for 15 years. We were playing our Calgary, our soul, our one COVID date in Calgary uh, with Cora Blund and Jim Cuddy as our guests. And uh, rehearsal went great. And then the next day I was in the hospital on IV during the concert. So I totally missed that amazing gig. Like, that was for sure my most exciting gig of the year last year. And I didn't get to do it. But, um, you know, like I was able to keep gigging and, and then um, I actually just decided to take all of the month of November off because um, I was just, you know, like kind of lead to at the start. I, have, I, I deal with some mental health issues. And so for me, I was at a point where I just wasn't really operating uh, as, as effectively as I, I knew I could. And so both my wife and my team at Curbside Concerts, we all agreed that like it would be good if I kind of just took a step back for a month, you know? So November was a good, it was quiet month for us anyways. Um, and then we ramped up for a bigger December, but like, uh, yeah, you know, and then that, that was kind of my, the tail end of my 2020. And then, and the start of this year, we just been laying the groundwork, you know, to make sure that we're really operating um, like a national company, you know, that has, that has like a marketing budget and has a strategy as, as you know, like that's what we're doing. And it, it's really interesting. It's really exciting. Cause I just feel the music that we're going to be producing. You know, there are so many gigs that people are going to enjoy because of the work we're doing to make sure that we have like safety guidelines in place and like policies in place to protect the artists and like all that, that important stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'd love to hear more about the, the mental health issues if you're comfortable and you know, don't, don't talk about anything you're not comfortable with, but, uh, but, but I think, I think it's really valuable for us to share these stories and for other people who might be struggling to, uh, to know what it's like for other people to go through it as well. So anybody who's seen you live with the, with the caribou or, or on your own, you're like Mr. Showman. You're, you're like Mr. Positivity, Mr. Energy. 
you're you're the guy you're you're wound up but through all of this you're you're having trouble is it, like what's going on yeah i mean like many people you know i i have i have some uh external pressures that have been heavy on my life you know so in the last 10 years uh i went through a series of events that were pretty challenging you know and just to tick them off one after the next uh i'm, I'm a totally bald guy but there was a time when i had a full head and face of hair but all my hair fell out one day uh it was october 15th 2011 i was on in a hotel room in niagara falls about to do a gig for folk ontario and i got alopecia set in so i lost all my hair one day and that like just kind of was the start of like you know just some troubling stuff you know i got celiac disease uh you know then i uh i lost my dad uh, you know, we, we, we kind of struggled through the Calgary floods of 2013, losing, like we were out of our house for a couple of weeks, you know, uh, I got our car stolen, you know, got broke into our house and, and stole, uh, uh, my computer and our phones and all the pictures of my dad's last year, my dad's life, you know, um, and then and I had other health issues, you know, I had to get, I had a vocal cord surgery last summer. I had a polyp on my throat, so I couldn't talk for a, a month and, and, um, you know, so I, I'd, I'd been going through some, some things. Right. And then, um, what I didn't do was I didn't rest at all, you know, because as, as you described, I, I keep a busy schedule because that's how you pay the bills in music. Um, and also paying the bills in music and working weekends and working summer weekends, it means we don't go on holidays, you know, like I having a radio show five days a week and then gigging on weekends, you know, like I got a four-year-old kid who's never seen a beach, you know, and, but I live in the prairies and it's COVID time. So what you going to do, you know, but like one day, and so, so what happened was I, uh, dealing with the grief of my dad, lost my dad and other things started kind of like weighing on me. And, uh, I started just experiencing anxiety and depression at a different level than I'd ever had before. And, um, and started to, you know, just to carry a weight that I wasn't familiar with and like, and, and, um, and so then this, this past, uh, year, just after I got over shingles, I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And so it gave a bit of an explanation for why it had some of these crazy mood swings, you know, like why I'd sometimes be really angry. Other times I'd be really sad, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's been a really confusing time because when you don't know what's up uh, and you just see these extreme emotions, it's very tricky to kind of categorize them or like figure out like, why am I angry? Like, you know, why crying when my, my family's happy and healthy, I'm on tour in front of an audience who loves me. Uh, we just had a great first act, but now I'm just crying my eyes out here before I go on and sing a really fun song, you know, like what the heck, but it was just all these things, you know? And, um, and so I, I started going to therapy and, um, you know, just getting medicated a bit more and, um, and that's been an up and down process too. You know, like I've had a lot of challenges with therapy. It's not just all been like rosy. For me. Um, there's been some good therapists and some not as good therapists and some good experiences and not as good experiences, but like uh, the journey I'm on has me in a pretty good spot right now um, where I'm, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm, I've been, I've been pretty good for a couple months now, you know, like I'm not, I have bipolar disorder. Like there's just no getting around that, you know, like it's, it's my, it's my constant, but knowing that I've had it now for six months, um, enables me to deal with myself differently, you know, because I don't, I don't have to be mad at myself or I don't have to feel ashamed of myself for a behavior I make because now I understand like, Oh, I'm, I'm acting like I'm acting because I'm experiencing a downward swell or I'm experiencing uh, feelings of mania. And these things, you know, you start to recognize them 
And it's just like training yourself at an instrument, you know, like when you start to recognize a thing, you can react. And then, and so that might mean that maybe I should just go for a walk or maybe I should just go sit in my office and breathe deep for a while. Or maybe I should go play with the kids. You know, to be honest, it's almost always the answer is go play with the kids. And if I, I can calm down and play with the kids, you know, they're cause they're, they're pure fun, right? They're pure fun and pure love. And those are the things that somebody struggling with depression. Um, those are very strong uppers. You know, you get a four-year-old hugging you and telling you that your leg was the coolest and you're like, well, all right, then I must be a okay dad, you know? Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I have had a journey, you know, but even when I was on radio at CKUA, I was happy to talk about mental health is something I noticed that like every time I interviewed somebody, every musician was talking about their mental health. Like it was just without, fail. you know, whether it was, part of their inspiration and in writing or whether it was part of their journey. You know, like for me, people say, why didn't you make record for 10 years? And well, <laughs> you can't answer that question without talking about mental health. You know, like I couldn't release my record. Uh, the one I've just released, I mean, we made it three years ago, but I couldn't release it because I just wasn't in the headspace to do it. I did. I couldn't handle all the work that had to go into it, you know? So instead of, kind of half-assing it, I shelved it a bit. Then, you know, then I had a vocal cord surgery. Well, I can't do it this year. Okay, now that lost this year and we'll do it next year. No, now we'll release it in March of 2020, you know? And that's just how, so, so you know, just records sometimes do that. But I don't know, I'm feeling pretty good. And, and it's, um, yeah, you know, like the success of Curbside obviously really helps me feel good. Um, the success being that like in November, I knew I could take a month off work and, and be supported. And that to me is like, holy smokes, that's success right there. You know, that's, that's in the music industry. Um, I got turned down for a WCB claim, uh, you know, <laughs> but like, but my team was like, no, you, you need to rest so you can be on it for December and for the 2021. And, and so, you know, that, that's the strategy we took because our company is like, we have an opportunity to build a company that puts mental health at the forefront. And, and so when we do that, we give everyone on our team a chance to like, just relax a little bit, you know, cause it's like, they know they get some therapy paid for. They know that if they need a day off, they can have a day off with no questions asked, you know? And like, um, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I see us in curbside concerts. Like I talked earlier about how we're busting some myths. Another thing we're doing is like, we're, 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 we're defining a new space, you know, the curbside, it's a new space. And, and as we define it, if we can define it with, um, with, you know, like equality and, um, and, and self-care and, and, you know, community at the forefront, if this is the example we lead by, then others see it and they'll be like, well, shit, we gotta, we gotta be friendly, affordable, support our neighbors, be good too. You know, like we can, we can do this, you know, it's like, it's just one small thing, but like, um, we can do this, you know, we can safely put musicians back to work and, and like, I'm, I'm not there yet. I, I know I keep getting told not to talk about it, but I like to talk about it. I aspire to get to a point where our, our artists on our roster have healthcare benefits from our company. We're not there yet, but I would like to be there. And I think it is achievable and it's something we're working towards because like, man, like why shouldn't an artist be allowed to have dental? That's crazy. And if the economy we've designed says that's the rules, well, I just don't accept that economy because I got teeth and my kids got teeth. And like, you can't tell me that my kids don't deserve dental just because I'm a musician. So I also r recognize responsibility. No one else is going to build it except me, you know, so it's up to me to build it. 
Uh, but luckily now we've got this wicked team at curbside. That's like, we're going to build this stuff together, you know? Yeah. Uh, one more thing I want to ask though about uh, about getting diagnosed bipolar. I, like you're not a you're not a super young guy anymore. You know you've you've been around. I don't I don't know what your experience with mental illness was before that. Like was that was that a scary thing for you and your family to get that diagnosis, or was it just kind of a relief because now you knew? Yeah, I, I didn't have a lot of experience with mental health before. Um, you know, like I I started getting. Uh, diagnosed with anxiety and depression about a year before, uh, two years before, you know, so I started getting some knowledge of, uh, of mental health though, but, but only in the last couple of years, you know, like only since 2019 sort of, you know, it's a new, it's a new conversation for me. Um, in regards to the impact on my life, you know, I guess it's maybe a bit weird, but so I, I have a bunch of autoimmune diseases, right? Like I have alopecia, I have celiac disease, you know? Um, and so there's been more than one time in my life where I've got a phone call from a doctor where they're like, Hey, everything changes starting today. You know, you're never having a beer again. You're never eating bread again. You know, those are big deals. But that, that was 12 years ago now. So like, whatever, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable in my celiac diet. And, um, and knowing that I was a celiac stopped me from getting sick all the time. I spent my whole like twenties, thirties, just like, well, I got diagnosed celiac at 33, you know, it's like, but I spent my childhood sick. And, and then I just stopped eating the stuff. I was sick and now I'm not sick anymore. You know? So like, it's not, it's different with, with, um, bipolar because like, I'll still have bipolar no matter what I do, as far as I know, I still don't know very much about it, but like, but again, it gives me a framework and now I can, I can, I can support myself by making better decisions. You know, like if I can see myself getting upset, find a way to calm down. Cause you know, the next two days you might be, you know, like make sure you go to sleep tonight, make sure I drink enough water tonight. Maybe don't have a second beer. You know, those sorts of decisions that I can make gluten-free beer, of course, but like, those are the kind of decisions I can make that support me. You know, it's not, it's not really rocket science or anything, but it's just like totally stuff I didn't think of, you know, like how's my exercise schedule? How's my diet schedule? How's my sleep schedule? How's my play with the kids schedule? You know, have I talked to my mom recently enough? These are the things that like make me feel good. And when I feel good, I act good, you know? And it's like, and then what triggers me, man, you know what, weirdly off leash dogs in an on leash dog park is totally one of my triggers. I got little kids and I don't like them getting knocked over and they all been knocked over. And, but at the same time, like, since I've learned that is in fact a trigger that really stresses me out, I just learned to not worry about it. Cause I was like, now I can see a dog like, Oh, well just don't worry about it. Instead of just like being like, Oh, what's, ooh, what if they run over my kid? Oh, what if they come and bite me? You're like, I just stopped worrying about it because I recognized what it was finally, you know? And so it's just it's such a weight off my shoulders to have to. Yeah. So having, having experience, you know, turning things around in your life, I guess made it a little bit easier for you to, to, to adjust to this change as well. That's right. You know, like, I mean, you must have heard the joke at the start of COVID, you know, everything shut down and all the people were like, how are we going to survive? And all the artists were like, what you've never like been fucking broke before for your whole life. You know, I mean, like, uh, here I am at 45, you know, like I've been working full-time in music since I was 24, you know, and I'm just getting to a point of economic stability, you know, and I've been a successful artist, you know, like, um, not like mainstream successful, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a working musician who pays my bills, pays my taxes and like as is raising my family on a musician's income, you know? And that's like, a choice I made it around 24. I wanted to be a working musician. 
And I recognized I was probably not going to be a rock star. You know, like I wanted that too, but I, I was pretty excited about the idea of being a working musician. And so that's what I've targeted my career towards. And like, and so here I am, that's meant some lean times, you know, that's meant some really lean times. And so um, with the onset of the lean times in COVID, I felt like my wife and I actually adapted pretty well, just maybe because we were used to some degree of crisis and struggle, you know, like with all the shit that's gone wrong in the last decade or so, I honestly felt like I just went from one crisis to the next, you know, one time I like, like this summer, for example, okay. Uh, mid August, a speaker fell on my head. I got a concussion in my head, you know, bleeding out in front of my kid hospital in an ambulance. Uh, I get home two weeks later, I'm back in the same hospital, but now I've got fucking shingles. Like what the hell? And then like come out of that, like, Hey, you got bipolar disorder. I'm like, what a month that was like in a month, you know? And in the meantime, I'm like curbside concerts, like slinging all these gigs. Hey, let's have them. Hey, we got an investor. Okay. I'm ready to, Hey, let's talk about this media person. Oh, TV interview. And it's like, I'm like holding a bloody rag on my head, trying not to bleed at the same time, hopping on one foot, singing a song with a kid under my arm, you know, it's just like headless chicken central over here. But but that's, that's actually literally the description of a successful music career. That's it. You're busy. You're working. You're working, you know? And it's like, that's uh, right now more than ever. I'm so grateful for, you know, the opportunities I've had, you know, and frankly, the privileges that I have, you know, like the fact that I had a radio show across the whole province uh, definitely helped my, uh, my curbside launch, you know, um, I had to leave the radio because I just didn't have time to do it every day because I was the curbs taking up so much. But like, um, I'm I've been gifted with a lot of privilege. I've had my challenges, but I've been been gifted with a lot of privilege, and um, and I'm doing my best to use what I've got to support, um, you know, my community to be responsible for my neighbors and responsive to my neighborhood. And those are like the things I kind of live by. And somehow through it all, you decided now was the time to release your record. What, what was that about? Cause you, you said you've been sitting on this for a while. You're busier than ever. And now all of a sudden you want to. I had some money in the bank. I could afford to press it. <laughs> really? That's, it's that simple. Pretty much. Well, the other thing is now touring's off the, off the map, right? Like now I don't have to worry about a release tour. You know, this album has a, it has a, you know, three piece horn section. It's got a flute. My wife plays on the tune. We've got great backup. And I sing a duet with Jill Barber, another one with Barney Benthal. There's like, there's a ton of great stuff on this record. So how was I going to do it in the first place? My thought was I would do one or two marquee events, you know, rather than trying to lug a 12 piece band around or something. Um, and so with, with the onset of COVID, obviously any kind of touring is, is done. My tours are now just solo shows around Calgary. You know, that's the release tour, you know, so it's, it's a definitely a different thing. And, and really it just came down to that, you know, like um, we had, we had, we had enough budget to do it. I finally had the capacity to do it, which also meant hiring someone to help me with it. Cause I've realized now like that's, you know, if you're really bad at something <laughs> and you try it again and again, and you're still bad at it, like maybe hire a friend who's good at it. You know, it's not, you know, and so that's, that's been a, another part of it. And then like, yeah, you know, like my friends are at the, they're pressing it to uh, a couple guys named Ian here in Calgary. And, uh, and, and it just like, they were ready for it too. I was ready for them. You know, like it just, all the things finally lined up, you know, and they were like, let's release it on my birthday. Cause what the hell, you know, that was, there's no marketing logic, you know, and it turns out if I'd been a little smarter, I probably would have released it in February because then I would have made the cut for the uh, Calgary music awards for the last year. Instead I'll be like, you know, their, their cutoff was Feb 28th. And I just, you know, I just arbitrarily chose my birthday as a day to release it on because I didn't. Some things I worry about strategy on, some things I don't worry about. I'm just happy that it's out there, you know. 
fact that we get to play, it's a good record. And so I'm, I'm happy that people hear it. Kiss me each morning for a million years. Hold me each evening by your side. I'll have more of that chat, and he'll tell us more about his new album on the March 28th episode of my music show, Tell the Band to Go Home. You can find that show at tellthebandtogohome.com. You can find out more about Matt and get in touch with him through his website, mattmasters.ca. A few of his albums are on iTunes, and you can find links to those at flywithyourshadow.com. If you happen to live in Calgary and want to book Matt or want to book a different artist where you live, check out curbsideconcerts.ca. As always, I really hope you'll consider supporting Matt Masters and all the other artists we've heard from on this show. Whether it's by booking a curbside concert, buying a CD or download, or just sending in a donation, you can make a huge difference in a talented artist's life when they're unable to get out and do what they love and what pays the bills for them. This show, however, is free. All you need to do to support me and this show is to follow, subscribe, and if you would, please share an episode with a friend to help spread the word and get the show into new ears. That truly is the most challenging part of doing this show, so I could really use your help with that. You can get in touch with me at flywithyourshadow at gmail.com or leave a comment at flywithyourshadow.com. Or you can get in touch with me through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Fly With Your Shadow. I thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the show. And I really hope you'll join me next time on Fly With Your Shadow. Oh, then you can tell me. You can tell me goodbye.